Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. We are continuing in our series called Discipleship and the Power of God. Discipleship and the Power of God. And if you'll remember last week, uh, Pastor Jeff Kane had a chair up on the, uh, the stage and talked about sitting in that chair. And we're going to continue with that theme today. But I want to start off today with um, telling you about a conversation this week that I had. I was talking with Pastor Joe. We sat down at the table, and we were talking about discipleship. What does it look like? What, what, what is this call of discipleship? And we were having this discussion about it. And I want to go back to this thought. Discipleship is Jesus's idea. It's his idea. Discipleship is an idea of Jesus. And any idea Jesus has, we can trust in it. It's a good idea. Now, I've had some ideas in my life. Some of them weren't very good. Didn't work out very well. Jesus has a good idea here. And he shares it with us at the very end of his ministry, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says this. Then Jesus came to them, came to his disciples. There are 11 at this time. Remember, one of them has already fouled out of the game. He comes to them and says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, watch this, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gives us his idea of discipleship right here in a nutshell. They talked about it a lot in the Gospels, but he wraps it up here at the very end, his last words as he's leaving the disciples. Dallas Willard, I love his quote on discipleship. It's, it's this, a disciple, disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. Constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. That's very counterculture for us, isn't it? We're always wondering, I wonder if I can fit Jesus in here. I wonder if church will work out for my busy schedule. I was asked to be in a small group, but it's not very convenient. I like what, what Eugene Peterson says about discipleship in his book on discipleship, and he gives the title of the book is a great definition of discipleship. He says it's this, a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, that's right. And really, that's what we're celebrating today in Founders Day. Pastor Joe and Pastor, they've had a long obedience in the same direction. 
So I wanna give you this morning a four-part picture of discipleship from the Gospels. That's not a very good title. It's the best title I can come up with as a dyslexic. Um, I'm sorry about that, it sounds a little strange, but a four-part picture of discipleship from the Gospels. And the first part of the picture is this. This is in all four of the Gospels. Jesus comes to these guys. They are not in the ministry. They're all, they all have professions and those professions are noble. They're noble. You know the profession that you're in? It's noble. It's sacred. And so Jesus comes to these guys and he says very simply these amazing words. He says, follow me. And they do it. They rearrange their life and they start to follow Jesus. They start following Jesus. That's the first Stroke, the first part in the picture. The second part is this, and, and the Gospel of John does a great job of outlining this. All the Gospels do this, but John does it so simply. The second part is in John 2, chapters 2 through John chapter 5. That's a lot. But in that part, Jesus does kingdom things in front of the disciples. He starts doing kingdom things, like turning water to wine, at a wedding. Now, that's an amazing miracle. It's amazing that Jesus did that. It's an amazing supernatural miracle. But what's amazing about it is not only did that happen, but Jesus is giving us a picture of heaven. Wherever Jesus is, heaven and earth overlap. That's right. And Jesus is saying, hey, at heaven, we have some picture language in the Bible about heaven. It's a banquet that we're all invited to. And there's plenty of food at the banquet, and the wine never runs out. So he gives us a picture of that. The wine's run out. There's no more. He's on earth, but heaven comes to earth, and now there's a whole bunch of really good wine. Then he goes and he clears the temple. He goes to Jerusalem, and he has an encounter at the temple. The temple's supposed to be the place where heaven and earth overlap. And in that overlapping, there's too much earth. There's a lot of corruption happening at the temple. And Jesus deals with that corruption. And it's pretty violent. I mean, it's really bad. Jesus is knocking over tables. He's going crazy. And the disciples are looking at each other going, man, did he talk to you about this? Did you, did he, did you, did you know that? Because they're looking at the soldiers standing around with swords and the ability to cut them down. They're looking at those guys and they do nothing. The power of God, the kingdom of heaven is now on earth and those guys stand silent as Jesus clears the temple. Kingdom things are happening on earth. And then Jesus does something really weird. He goes and talks to a Samaritan woman. Once again, the disciples are going, Jesus, what are you gonna talk to her? You didn't counsel with us about this. We, we could have helped you understand that Jews don't talk to Samaritans. We could have informed you about our racism that we hold and got you to agree with us that we don't like these people. And you're going and talking with them. And what happens when the kingdom comes to earth? She goes back and tells the village and everyone gets saved. Everyone comes to know Jesus and then he goes on to, uh, to Jerusalem, and there's a lame man at a pool. 
And Jesus has this encounter with this guy who's, and he supernaturally heals him. And Jesus is very intentional about this miracle because it happens on the Sabbath. And Jesus now enters into the realm of politics. And the people that, that saw this, they didn't like it. Jesus is working on the Sabbath. But Jesus says when the kingdom comes to earth, when the kingdom is flowing and people are healed, it's not work. There's a flow of the kingdom. It's legal. It's powerful. It's lethal. It's potent. And Jesus is redefining the way we relate to heaven. So the disciples are watching all this. Jesus is doing kingdom things. And then in John chapter five, we have a transition that happens. It's the third part of the painting, the third part of the picture. Jesus teaches them kingdom things. So he said, follow me. They followed. He starts doing kingdom things. They're watching him do them. They're just observing. They're along for this wild ride, if you could imagine. If you could imagine being with Jesus in the temple when he's clearing house. Wow. They're along for, they're, we're watching all of this. But now something happens that's different. Jesus starts teaching them. In John chapter five, Jesus goes into a long discourse on who is the father. What is the father like? What's his nature like? What's it like to be around the father? He starts teaching them. And then he has a long discourse on the son. The father and the son. Who is the son? What is it like to have a relationship with the son? What does the son do when he's on earth? And then he goes into another long discourse on eternal life. He starts talking about eternal life. And he says something that's fascinating about eternal life. I remember the first time this connected with me. I was in college. I was in New Testament class. And our New Testament professor said this. He said, eternal life is a present possession. It's not something that you get when you go to heaven. It's something that Jesus wants us to enter into right now. It's a present possession. And Jesus is teaching him all these things and the disciples are just listening. Well, could you imagine hearing this from Jesus? It would have been fantastic. It would have been amazing. And they're, in, they're on the ride. That's the third part of the painting. Follow first. Jesus does. The disciples are watching. Jesus teaches and the disciples listen. And now something dramatic happens. A total change in the way Jesus does ministry. And it happens, it happens in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this is the only miracle in the Gospels that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. The only one. And this is the transition moment. This is when everything changes in this picture. It's our text today. I'm going to be reading from uh, Mark chapter 6. Verses 34 through 43. Mark is the shortest to record this story, which is why I like it, because I like short. <laughs> Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The indication here is that he taught all day long. Many, many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. 
and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Now, I love this detail in the Gospels about these guys called the disciples. I love this. They come to Jesus, the creator of the universe. They said, hey, look, we're not really sure if you're connecting with this. Maybe your uh, sandal watch is not working correctly or something, but it's really late. And these people are really hungry. And they're just like Southern Baptists looking for a Lubies. I mean, this is, this is, this is bad, Jesus. We got a revolt on our hands. I mean, this is, this is difficult. This is really late. We're here to give you some counsel. Pulls Jesus aside and said, let us tell you how things should go. Yeah. Now, this is fascinating to me. I look at the disciples counseling God on what to do. And I laugh at this, but don't we do the same thing? Yeah. We do the same thing with our finances. You know what, God, this is not going to work out. <laughs> I know your word says this, but and you're God and everything, and you made the universe with a billion stars. But, but I'm looking at this, and this isn't going to work. We do the same thing, don't we? With big decisions, we do the same thing the disciples did here. They said to him, I'm sorry, uh, then in verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. This is where everything changes in the four-part picture that we're looking at. This is the fourth part. This is the transitionary moment for the disciples. Up until this point, they've followed, they've watched, and they've listened. And now Jesus very intentionally, this is a supernatural moment. He knows there's not enough food to take care of these five. There's five the Bible says there's 5,000 men. Theologians tell us that that would have meant the crowd was somewhere between 15 and 20 thousand people listening to Jesus because that was only the men so there's a lot of women and children around more than the men so there's a very large crowd there and Jesus says you do it you give them something to eat they said to him that would take more than a half of year's wages are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat how many loaves do you have he asked go and see they found out and said five and two fish. Verse 39, watch this. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down. So they sat down in groups of 50s and 100s, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then, watch this, he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish that were left over. 12 baskets. Massive provision. Again, a picture of heaven. When we sit at the table, there'll be massive resources. And Jesus has given us a picture of that. And we have this fourth part of the picture where Jesus tells them to do kingdom things. He says, now you do it. Now you feed the multitudes. And they didn't have a correct response, but even in that, the multiplication didn't happen until the disciples started giving it out. Yeah. 
and the multiplication, the kingdom was illustrated and explosion of resources happened. So this is the pattern of discipleship that's established in the gospels. Follow me, watch me do stuff, listen to me teach, and now you go do. And we'll watch this. This will happen throughout the Gospels from now on. This same pattern will repeat itself over and over again in the Gospels until we come to the very last words of Jesus, which is the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. So this week, Pastor Joe and I were talking, we're sitting at the table, how do we illustrate this to the congregation? How do we... This concept, we see how it happened in the Gospels. We see this picture that Jesus has painted. So what does that look like for us today? And we thought about four chairs. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you through these four chairs. The first chair that's up here on the stage, this is the chair of the seeker. And we all sit at this chair at some point in our walk. We all have a seat here And I remember when I was in this chair, I was a seeker. I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I wasn't involved with the church. I was seeking God. I didn't know him. I sat in this chair as a seeker. Many of you today, you may be sitting here and you're sitting in the chair of a seeker. You're seeking and wondering, is this Jesus really who he says he is? Is this Jesus who the scriptures say that he is? Can I have a real relationship with him? What is that like? You're a seeker sitting in the chair. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. This is not a bad chair. It's a good chair. It's a chair made by the master carpenter, by Jesus. And you can trust in this chair. And while you sit in this chair, there's something that's constantly happening to you because this is the chair of invitation. The Holy Spirit is constantly inviting you to get up out of this chair and sit in the next chair, which is the chair of the follower. Remember when Jesus went to his disciples and said, follow me. And they laid everything down and they moved from the seeker chair to the chair of the follower. They became followers of Jesus. They sat in this chair. I remember the first time I sat in this chair, I was in the sixth grade. I had committed many sins in the neighborhood. And my parents were tired of my sins and all the neighbors were tired of my sins. I broke a lot of windows. I did a lot of bad stuff. And I remember being convicted of my sin. I was convicted by the gospel, by Jesus' word. I got up out of this chair. I said, I became a follower of Jesus. I surrendered to Jesus and all the neighbors celebrated. It was wonderful. They didn't even go to church, but they were happy. I became a follower of Jesus. I I was water baptized. I became a follower. I started reading my Bible. I had a personal relationship with Jesus. Sitting in this chair, I had a personal relationship with Jesus that started when I was sitting in the chair of the follower. But there's another chair that Jesus called me to. And to make this next chair, there's a gap. There's a distance between these two chairs, the seeker and the follower, and making my way over to the next chair that I'm called to sit in, once again, made by Jesus, so I can trust in it. This is the chair of the member. And I remember when I sat in this chair for the first time, I became a member of God's family. I committed to a church. It was a church family that I committed to and said, I'm I'm going to be a member. I'm gonna sit 
in the family of God. I'm gonna be a part of the family of God. And this is illustrated for us beautifully by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the last half of that chapter where he talks about that the body of Christ is like a physical human body, that there's some parts that are a hand, some are a foot, and that God places the parts of the body just as he sees fit. That he brings the church together. That he brings the parts of the body together. And some have this gift and others have a different gift and they're supposed to come together and use those gifts in such a way where the family of God is illustrated. And people can see there's a family. And I remember sitting in this chair for the first time. Now, there's a difficulty with this chair, which is why there's a gap here. Because when I sat in that chair over there, those two, it was me and Jesus. It was a personal relationship with Jesus. But when I came and sat in this chair, a transition happened. Over here, and this was, Pastor Joe helped me with this. Over here, I was a potted plant. I was a plant. I was growing. I was saved. Had a relationship with Jesus, but I was in a pot. When you sit in this chair, the chair of membership, you're taken out of the pot and planted in the family of God. In God's family, you're planted. This is the chair of placement. This is where God places people so they can understand fully who they are in Christ. And without this chair, I can't fully understand that. On my own, I can get some weird flaky ideas. But when I'm sitting with you, I get corrected a lot. When I sit with you and you sit with me, we help each other as the family of God. And we, that's how we grow. That's how we are as a family. Now, there's some real problems sitting in this chair, aren't there? Sometimes the people sitting next to us in these chairs have bad breath. They do. I'm, sometimes they do. It's never been me. It's always you. Now, you... We sit in this chair, and sometimes the person we're sitting next to has totally different political ideas than we do. But I'm still called to sit in this chair. Sometimes the people that you're sitting next to in this chair come from a total different ethnic background than you do. But I'm called to sit in this chair. Sometimes when we sit in this chair, we get hurt. Russell Ann and I sitting in this chair, we've gone through many difficult things in our life, many challenges, many very hard, hard things. But it was sitting in this chair where we had one of the most painful experiences of our life. The most difficult, hard, painful issues we've ever gone through came from sitting in this chair. And we unfortunately got up from the chair. We left the chair of membership, the chair of placement. We, we left that for a period of time. And by God's grace, by the grace of Jesus, we were called to sit in this chair again. And we came back and we sat in the chair again And we found out that there's a healing and a beauty that came into our lives that could not come from any other chair but this one.
It's the only place we could get it. It's the only place where the family of God could help us heal and grow once again. But we had to sit in the chair. The last chair that I wanna to talk to you about this morning is the chair of the disciple. The chair of the seeker, the follower, the member, and now the chair of disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? I remember the first time I sat in this chair, I was in high school. Remember I came to Christ in the sixth grade, but I sat in this chair because someone called me to sit in this chair. There was a man named Judd Jones who attended the same church that I went to. He was also the Young Life Director at the high school that I attended. And he told me something that had never happened to me before. He said, Derek, I wanna meet with you in a discipleship group. I had never heard of that. I'd been going to church and we went to a really good church and I had great parents who loved God. I had never heard of being discipled before. And he called me to this group and I went and sat in this chair for the first time. And he began to talk to me about how to live the Christian life and what does that mean for me in high school and all the challenges and hormones and struggles that I was going through and all that, ah, all of that. And he discipled me. And then again, I went to college. I went off, I left, I went to school, I went to college. And there were two guys at this college that were ahead of me, Larry Wheeler and Jimmy Robinson, who had a deep understanding of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't have any understanding of the Holy Spirit at all. I was saved, I loved God, and I knew I was going to heaven. All that was secure in my salvation, all of that. But they set me down in the seat of discipleship and they discipled me about the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work in our life? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to receive the, the, receive the gifts that God's got for me? And, and I learned about all those things. And then in 1994, Russell Ann and I were out in Weatherford, Texas, and we started going to this church, and these two guys called me up, Mark Jackson and James Rutledge, and said, Derek, we want you to be in our small group. Our small group semester is about to kick off. They said, we want you to be in our small group. And I went to their small group. I once again had to sit in the chair of discipleship, being a disciple. And I sat with them, and guess what they were teaching? They were taking the group through experiencing God. Wow. Remember the Henry Blackaby classic study, experiencing God? And for the first time in my life, someone taught me this principle. Find out where God is working and join him. You know where God was working? In this seat, the disciple seat. This is what God had called me to. This was my next step. This, he had called me to sit in this seat. And I learned that. And these guys taught me. And I was discipled. And it was fantastic. It was the best group I'd ever been a part of. The best Bible study I'd ever dreamed of. It was amazing. And after the group was over, I said, hey, Mark and James, let's do this again. I want to be in this group again. They said, Derek, you know what? You can be in this group again, but it'll never be the same from now on. From now on, you can come and will disciple you, but from now on, for the rest of your Christian walk, I'm not in full-time ministry. Hadn't even dreamed of that crazy thought yet. Not in ministry. And they said, from now on, you will have a group where you will make disciples. And they came to me and said, look, we got this, there's the, the high school class, the high school boys, there's no one to teach their class. You are now gonna teach that class you are now gonna disciple the high school boys because we can't find anybody stupid enough to do it. 
So that was my first group. And I said, okay. I said, All right, I'm going to sit in this chair, but now the direction of the chair changed. And I started making disciples. Now, it wasn't very pretty at first, and it was, I made a lot of mistakes, and it was difficult, and they laughed at me, and we was just a struggle. But from that point on in my life, I have always sat in a chair where I'm being discipled, and then I've always tried to find the chair where I can make disciples, give what little I have away to someone else. So here's my thought for us this morning. Here's my thought. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you just simply allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now? And here's the question. Which one of these chairs are you sitting in? Everyone's sitting in a chair this morning. Everyone's sitting in one of these four. All of us are. Which one are you sitting in today? Which one is it? Maybe if you could just picture in your mind yourself sitting in either the chair of the seeker, the chair of the follower, the chair of the member, or the chair of the disciple. Now I wanna ask you to do this. Now that you know every one of you have you've placed yourself in that chair, now here's what I wanna ask you to do. What is the next chair that Jesus is calling you to sit in? Which one is it? Now, these chairs are safe. They're designed by Jesus, who's a master builder. These chairs are his idea. They're not my idea. Not, Pastor, not even Pastor Joe's idea. These are not a theologian's idea. These are Jesus's idea. These chairs are safe. You can sit in them. But the other people sitting around you may not be so. But we're called to sit in the chair anyway. Let me close with this. There's a beautiful story in, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite storytellers. When he's telling the story of Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a beautiful conversation between Lucy and Miss Beaver. If you remember, this is the first conversation they have about Aslan. They're gonna have this conversation about Aslan, and Lucy goes to Miss Beaver, and Miss Beaver has walked with Aslan all of her life in the land of Narnia. She's set in each of these seats. Miss Beaver has. And Lucy, who's brand new to this new world because she's gone through the wardrobe, she's brand new, and she asks Miss Beaver this question. She says, is he safe? Is it safe for me to be around Aslan? Is he safe for me to be around? Remember, Aslan is a lion. And Miss Beaver responds, no. He's not safe. He's wild. He's a lion. He's powerful. 
He's wild. He is not safe. But he is good. Each one of these seats is good. Each one of these seats that Jesus calls us to sit in is good. Now, I got hurt in this seat. Got hurt really bad. But it turned out for my good after I sat in the seat again and the family of God came and brought healing in my life. Here's what I wanna encourage you. Move into the seat that Jesus is calling you to sit in. Move into that seat. Father, thank you for this amazing day. Thank you, Father, for this amazing church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Isn't it awesome? That's great, wasn't it? Fantastic. I was thinking about those four seats. You know, this is the third time I've heard this sermon this morning. I was thinking about these seats again, and I was just thinking about my own life when I was sitting in them. And in this first seat, I was confused. I was confused. I thought if you had enough good in your life, the good would outweigh the bad, and God wouldn't turn a good person away from heaven. I was really confused. I thought it was about my works. And so there's a moment in time when I figured out that really that Jesus was calling me, and I became convicted. Confused, convicted. Convicted that I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus. It's still all about me, but I just needed to give my heart and life to Jesus. And there's wide gulf then from here to this chair over here. Confused, convicted, big wide gulf to committed. Committed. I'm going to commit to the Lord. I'm going to commit to a body. I'm going to commit to a place. I'm going to let my roots go down deep so that God can get the fullness that I have to give out of me. So I went from confused, confused over here, to convicted here, to committed here, committed to the family of God, committed to Christ Jesus. And this last one, commissioned. Now it's not about me at all. It's about him. It's about what he wants. It's about his kingdom. And it's about commission to go out and do it. And so, I'd love your question, Pastor Dick. What chair are you in today? What chair are you in today? That's the first question. The second question is, what would you have to change in your life to move up a chair? Let's all stand together. Praise the Lord. You may be here this morning, you were like me, just confused. Confused about your calling, confused about your walk with God. 
I'm telling you, it'd be a very simple thing for you this morning to offer your heart up to Jesus. We're going to be here to pray for you right up to the end. Because once you figure out, you know what, I think I'm confused, is when you can open your heart to be convicted that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So you may be sitting in that chair today. You know what? I'm saved, and I love the Lord. But you know what? There's more. And when you get committed to a body, you get committed to God, then you have to start doing things and dealing with things that you would never have to deal with just by you and the Jesus together. But it's in that crushing, in that hard times, in those difficult moments where you stay committed, where God creates the sweetest wine in you. And then finally, just being commissioned, a disciple of Jesus. I'm not here to do my own thing. I'm here to do the thing of the Lord. Amen. Which chair are you in? What would you have to change to move to another? Bow your heads, please. Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Lord, for this powerful message Pastor Derek brought. I just ask you just to bless, Lord, each and every person, Lord. Bring us out of confusion into conviction that we might live committed to Christ and his church so that you might commission us to do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. Love you guys. Awesome. Have a great week and see you back here next Sunday. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.